We just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come be, come before you and to study your word. And we just ask that you bless and guide and lead in everything that goes on today in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, First Peter chapter 2, starting at verse... Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at this. Today's topic is that we are priests. And so the first thing is, what is a priest? Let's throw that out to people. What is a priest? A witness. Someone who teaches. Right? Teaches, Serve. witnesses, Serves. Serves. serves God. God to the man. But a communicator of God to the man. A communicator of God to man. That's pretty much what a priest is. Somebody who's in fellowship with God, that serves God, that an intermediate between is a good one because that's what the priest did in the Old Testament. They were the ones that offered the sacrifices for the people. And God has made us, first off, lively stones. <laughs> now, of course, that is a contradiction in terms because stones just lay around and do nothing. But he has made us... Roll. Huh? Stones roll. Stones roll. He has made us live stones to be built into the temple of God. And we are basically going to be the house of God, the temple of God. And we are alive. We, we, and this is the thing, when in Romans we're told that we are to present ourselves a living sacrifice. And that's tough to do because sacrifices don't like to stay on the altar if they were alive. That They always had to be killed. And basically it means that we give up ourselves for God. And then he says that we are made a holy priesthood. Now, who are the priests as far as the Bible is concerned? The Levites. The Levites. Now, is oh, there yeah. any other priest that you know of in the scriptures? There's one other priest that has an offering made to him. We'll turn to Genesis 14. Now, hold on to 1 James because we'll, we'll come back to 1 James. Peter. Uh, Peter. Yeah, 1 James. Peter. <laughs> we're going to go to Genesis 14. Peter around because we're going to come back to Peter. All right. Yeah, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Genesis 14, starting at verse 13. And there came one that escaped and told Abraham the Hebrew that for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol, the brother of Amner, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother, that's Lot, was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued after them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobrah, which is on the left hand of Damascus, and he brought back all the goods and also brought back again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Shed Orla Omar and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shaveh, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, for he was a priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God that hath delivered thine enemies into your hand. And he gave him tithes of all he had all of all. And this is Abraham, or Abram at the time, Lot and the kings of Sodom lost a war, a battle, and the kings took Lot and all the possessions of the valley and went north. Okay, when you read Dan, Dan is the northernmost part of Israel. Okay, so they're taking all these people and Ab Abram's chased after him with a huge army of 318 men <laughs> and defeated these guys that had defeated five kings in the valley. 
Okay, and then he brought everything back and he gave gifts to Melchizedek, who was the king and the priest of Salem. And Salem, Salem is peace. And Salem is another name, it was the early and original name of Jerusalem. Okay, so this is the king of Salem or peace, the king of Jerusalem. And Abram went out, won the victory, gave a t gave 10% tithe to Melchizedek. And then went on and gave back to the people of the valley. Uh, but this kind of sets our thing. The only other priest we know that's not of the line of Levi is Melchizedek. And we're not going to get into all the different things about Melchizedek today. There's, you know, one day we'll have a big study about Melchizedek. We did way back when we were doing Genesis. We talked about Melchizedek. Um, but he was the other priesthood. And we're going to get into Hebrews probably. But our job as priests, according to, to first Peter, offer up spiritual sacrifices. And this is, a, this is a term that's used throughout the Bible. So I think first, what does it mean to offer a sacrifice? Give something of yourself. Give something of yourself is one of the three parts of a sacrifice. That's the one everybody thinks of. A sacrifice is to give something from your, of yourself, as in the offering of the animals or or to give up, give up doing something. A sacrifice is also a substitution for something else. Okay, as in the animals, they were offered up in substitution for our life, which was due God. He would take the animal's life instead. The third and most important part of sacrifice is to draw closer to God. The purpose of the sacrifice is to draw close to God. We as priests are to offer spiritual sacrifices. We give of ourselves as a substitution for ourselves, but to draw close to him. To draw close to him. And isn't that ultimately what we want to do is to draw close to God? Because that is where our peace is, that is where our, our hope is by drawing close to him. Um, we want to just go through a little bit of these spiritual sacrifice verses. We're going to walk through the Bible a lot. Psalm 107. Psalm 107, starting at verse 20. He sent his word and healed them. All through here, God wants a sacrifice of thanksgiving, rejoicing. Why, why is that a hard thing? Think about this. What, is, what does it mean to offer a sacrifice of praise? Number one, we take time out of our day to praise him. Okay? So we're going to go through. How does it meet the three points? We take time, we give up something that we could be doing otherwise, okay, to spend time praising him. We substitute focus on ourselves for focus on him, and it draws us close to him. And I, I hope that, you know, I talk about this a lot, I hope people have experienced what it means to, to have that sacrifice of praise, that when you come before God in praise, in worship, there should be a connection with God. We sing these songs on Sunday mornings and hopefully throughout the week, do we think about the words? Are we actually thinking about what we're doing? You know, how many times do we sing these songs and we don't even think about them? Especially somebody like me who's got them memorized. Okay? Most of the songs we have, I've got most of the words memorized. It's very easy just to... The new songs that you've introduced, I have memorized. Okay, <laughs> because you listen to them on the radio. But you start singing these songs and sometimes you can forget that you're worshiping God and you just sing them. 
And it's very critical for us to keep in mind. And it's why, especially on the hymns, a lot of times I'll bring out some key point that just strikes me when I'm in the middle of that song. Have you thought about this? This little, this little section of this verse. It's a way to come closer to God when we're really worshiping him with it. And it should be that sacrifice of praise. God, I am drawing close to you. I want to have that relationship with you. And it's that relationship that will keep us. Psalm 116, start at verse 12 on this one. Psalm 116, start at 12. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise you the Lord. Again, the idea of why is he, why is he praise, these thank, praise of thanksgiving? Verse 13, he looked and he says, I take the cup of your salvation. Re keep on remembrance how precious it is to be saved, to be delivered. To be, to be separated from the world and put into Christ, that we pay our vows to God. And then he said, because of, because of all the good you've done for me, God, I'm going to praise you. And we've talked about that in our acronym at the, on, the prayer, on the prayer guide, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Do we adore God? Are we giving him thanks for all that he does? It's so easy to get separated into doing things our way. You know, get it tied up in doing things my way, get busy, get busy doing things. And I've shared with you all, I'm the same as everybody else. I encourage everybody to read your Bible first thing in the morning because I'm the same way. If I don't read my Bible first thing, I will, read, I will forget to read it. I may study it because I'm preparing for something else, or I may not. My day off sometimes is the hardest day to, to get into the Bible because I usually will sleep in a little bit longer and, and throw my schedule out of, out of kilter. And as soon as I do that, I'm in trouble. I've been doing the praying of two and a half hours a day. <laughs> and I can't have, uh... And it's just fun sometimes just to spend time with God and be within his presence and yeah. just praise him. And, you know, again, I listen to, I listen to the music. I listen to the, listen to the teachers. I spend a lot of time. But it's so easy to get wrapped up if we're not careful. I feel like 16 and a half hours a week, you said. Well, 16.8. Yes. In Isaiah, it talks about how to cleanse your, you know, as a sacrifice, no silver, no gold, no nothing that is for, you know, that we've made for us as a glory thing. How do you perceive a wedding ring then? You mean as far as for God's honor or for, well, basically the gold is purity. God talks a lot of us being, us about being pure gold. And Isaiah basically he's saying that silver and gold is not what he's looking for. And you gotta be careful because gold is, God talks about us being gold. And being purified like gold and, and all. Uh, so yes, there's that aspect of, yes, we are gold. And yes, God wants us to honor him with our gold and silver and our possessions. But by the same token, he wants what we're talking about here, the sacrifice of praise. He wants us more than he cares about our possessions. And this is why I don't talk a lot about tithing because God can get by with, with or without our tithing. Goodbye. Does he want us to tithe? Yes. But what he wants more, he said, 
sacrifices are not what I want. I want obedience more than sacrifice. Does that mean he didn't want the sacrifices? No, because that goes back to the sacrifice was us giving up something that was ours. I mean, the sacrifices in the Old Testament when it was an animal, it wasn't to go, you weren't to go out and get a wild goat and offer a sacrifice because that wasn't yours. It didn't cost you. He wanted you to give something of his, of, that belonged to you. But even above the sacrifice, he wanted obedience. People who were going to honor him and do what he wanted them to do. That is the hard thing. Obedience is harder than giving a sacrifice. Some people find it easier to give their tithe and their offering than to be obedient to God. You know, here God have, you know, $100, no big deal. You can have my $100. Uh, oh, you want me to talk to these people? Now that could be a different, a different thing altogether for people. And so God is saying he wants, but God wants that, God wants us, okay? And he wants us to be obedient. He wants us to, to, to listen to what he says and to be obedient. And obedience is a lot harder, you know, a lot harder because most, you know, for most people giving, giving something, and this is the problem that we have when people, when you have a missionary come, they're more than happy to give to the missionary can go out and, and preach the gospel but try to put a track in their hand and say, I want you to give this track to somebody this week. You know, and it's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know about this. You know, you, you're actually wanting me to give up something of myself and have somebody think something that I'm strange. And God is saying, yes, <laughs> I want you to go out and do something so that people know you're following me. And it's hard. And it can be very hard. I just want obedience. And that's what the sacrifice of praise is all about. The, thank, thanks, the, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. It gets easier as you do it more. The more it gets easier, the more you do it. And that's, and that's why I say, you know, I can't judge people from the standard that I'm at. I've been following God for 42 years. So, I mean, my standard, I've been doing things, and it becomes e is easier, easier and easier as you do it. And then, of course, it's so easy to slip back the other direction. Stop doing something for a very short time and, and living in yourself and, and you can drift away from church, you can drift away from God, you can drift away from the Bible, prayer, yeah. you know, prayer everything, and the next thing you know, it's been months since you've done anything. All of this is God looking for obedience from us, that, that what am I giving up for Him? And we kind of need to look at our life and say, God, what am I giving up for you each, each day? And not to be legalistic about it, but we want to say, God, have I spent time with you? Have I, have I looked at you? And that's why I spent time this Sunday mentioning God wants a tithe of our time. Okay, He wants 10% of our time given to him. And that is a difficult thing for us and hard to do. And that really is a hard thing to do for us because most of us don't have enough day, hours in a day to begin with. And then we're going to go, what am I, you know, how am I going to fit God into this, into this day? Okay, and... That can be difficult. Believe me, I know that it can be difficult to fit God into your day sometimes. It's easier for me now as a pastor because I'm kind of required to put time into study and everything. But I've always done that for study. I've, for me, prayer is one of my hardest things to do. Uh, I love to study. Studying to me is a piece of cake. It's, it's fun. It's a lot of, lot, of, lot, of, lot to do. And giving him of my money is not a big deal. I give him, give him my money. Giving him time in prayer for me is one of my more difficult areas. And so I know when people have trouble. You know, and when we each have an area that we're going to have more trouble than other places before as we approach God. And the key is spending that time with him. Putting him in the middle of everything that we do. 
And that's why I recommend we start our day with him because then he's in the middle of us right from the beginning. And the more I spend time with God in the morning, the better my day goes through the rest of the day. I spend time in prayer, I spend time in reading, and my day seems to be put together by God. When I forget about him, I can guarantee you I'm going to have a bad day. And about halfway through the day, I usually realize, boy, I didn't start my day right. And at that time, I'm so embroiled in the mess, it's hard to get back with God at that point. And other times, I don't even realize until the end of the day, and I look back and go, boy, what a miserable day I had, and I didn't put God in the middle of my day. So the sacrifice, the sacrifice of God. I want to look at Jonah. Not a book that we go to very often, but Jonah, chapter 2, or of chapter 2 of Jonah. And this is where Jonah told the, the sailors, if you throw me off the boat, the, the storm will end. And this is his prayer as he's going down. Unto you, into your holy temple, they, do, they that observe lying lips forsake their own mercies. But I will sacrifice unto you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So this Jonah, as he's basically drowning, he's been swallowed by the great fish, thinks his life is at the end, and, and his prayer was, okay, God, I'm remembering you, and I'm going to give your thanks. I'm going to thank, give thanks to you. Now, how many of us in the middle of being swallowed by a fish, thinking that our life is at an end, would start going, God, I, I'm offering you the sacrifice of thanks. That is not going to be the first thing on our thoughts in most cases, and yet Jonah's mind went to God. And you got to think about where Jonah was. He was running away from God. God said go to Nineveh and he decided to go to Tarshish which is about uh, to uh, um, yeah as far the direction from Nineveh as he could possibly go and say God I'm, I'm not going. You said you're going to destroy Nineveh if they don't repent? Good. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm headed as far away. Go destroy them. And God brought him back. We know the story. But his, his thought, as soon as he was, he was at his death and he's thinking about God and giving him thanks. You know, of course, in his mind, he's probably going, okay, God, you've, you've killed me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done. Uh, Nineveh's going to be destroyed. My people are going to be okay. Uh, so then we want to look at Hebrews chapter 13. If you marked First Peter, it's just a book to the left. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. Let us go, therefore, without him, without the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. It is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So think about this. God wants to hear thanksgiving. And he says, it is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. God wants to hear us thank him. He wants to hear us give thanks to him and praise him and sacrifice him to a sacrifice of praise because we are past animal sacrifice and Jesus completed the law he fulfilled all the law and we've been talking in the Leviticus class how the, all the all the sacrifices represent Jesus Jesus completed all the all the sacrifices he completed the law the only sacrifice left to us is the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and that is why in 1 Peter, we're, we're made priest. 1 Peter 2, we're made priest in order to offer spiritual sacrifices. Not going out and getting a bunch of cows and goats and, and stuff and offering them, but to give him the praise and the thanksgiving. And he's worthy of it. You know, I, I think often that 
how worthy is God of our praise. He has done everything for us. We deserved hell and punishment, and Jesus died for our sins so. and gives us gives us eternal life, gives us all the things we've been talking about for the last 41 weeks. <laughs> yeah, we're getting close to the end of this series, you know, of what God has done for us, what he has done for us at the moment of salvation. And he makes us priests and says, I want you to give praise. Why can we give praise? Well, he declared us just. <laughs> he, de he, has, he has made us holy. He has made us righteous. He has made us a child of God. All the different things we've talked about for 41 weeks that he has done for us, clothed us in Christ, made us his children. He has done all this stuff for us. He is worthy of all the, all the praise we can get. If we were to bow down and worship him 24 hours a day, he's, we still wouldn't be giving him all the praise he needs or deserves. I guess it needs is the wrong word, deserves, because of how much he loves us, how much he cares for us, how much he wants us to be with him. And he gives us this, this whole thing that we are a holy priesthood. First Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're a chosen generation. God chooses us. That should be enough to excite you right there. God chooses us. So we are chosen by God, a royal priesthood. Now, were the Levites part of the royal tribe? Yes. No. No. Judah's the royal tribe in, in Israel. Oh, oh, yeah. Not the Levites. So this is definitely not referring to being made a part of the Levitical priesthood because the, the, only the Levites could be priests, and actually specifically the Aaron's family of the Levites. And to be royal in Israel, you had to be part of the Judah tr tribe, which is the tribe that Jesus comes from, the tribe that David comes from. And to be a priest, you had to be part of the tribe of Levi. But God says we are royal priests. Again, that takes us back to Melchizedek. And we're going to take a quick look at Hebrews chapter 12. We're doing a lot of walking around today in the Bible. And we're going to read it. We're going to read a chunk of Hebrews 7, starting at verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without, farther, without, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but, be, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoil. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, for their brethren, from their, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from, the, from them received tithes of Abraham, and blessed him that hath the promise. And without contradiction, the less, the less is blessed by the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there is he, but there he that receives them, of whom it is written that he lives. 
And as I say also, Levi also, who, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, that further need was there, what further need was there that a priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek, and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity of the change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gives attention at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of the tribe of Mo, of the, which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood, and yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there riseth another priest, who was made not after the law of the carnal commandment, but after the power of the endless life. For he testified, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, for there is verily a for there is verily a disannulment of the commandment going before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. Stop there. Very complex. You've got to know the and everything. But basically, Paul is going in here and he's, he's quoted Genesis seven, uh, 8 that we read. Uh, excuse me, Genesis. What did I say? 13. 13. <laughs> forget, what I, forget what I said. He's quoting Genesis 13 about the story of Melchizedek. He's verses from Psalms which says that the Messiah will be after the order of Melchizedek. So he's going to be a kingly priest not after Levi or Judah even though he's going to run his lineage through Judah but he's also going to be called a priest. This throws the Jews when they read it because they say you can't be from the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Levi. You know, they're, you know, yeah, you can through mixing mix in a marriage, but usually they assign one tribe to each person. And I can't, I can't remember how they, how they trace. I think it was the mothers that they trace the tribe through. Yes. Uh, and so you go through the mothers for the tribe, and you're only assigned one. Even if it's a mixed tribe marriage, you only get one tribe assigned to you. And so Jesus could not be both king and priest by Jewish rules. But through... In a couple places in Psalms, it's talked about him being after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek came out of nowhere. He was called Salem, or king of peace. Uh, and this says he had no father, no mother. No, nothing, nothing is known about Melchizedek. He shows, but he only shows up one time in history. And there's many people that believe that he was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And that is possible. Uh, I'm not going to stand up and say it's absolutely sure because there was a place called Jer Salem and there was a king that would have been in Salem. Uh, but and it's also possible because it said that the, the greater always blesses the lesser. Okay, Somebody who is, who, you know, a s servant in a, in a castle is not going to go up and say, oh, bless you, king, You're, we're going to give you a great reward. That Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Now, if you're a Jew, that, that's, a, that's quite a statement to, to bring out because Abraham is the father of the nation. And in their minds, there's nobody greater than, than Abraham other than God himself. Okay, Abraham blessed others. Others didn't bless Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, because they can't picture just any king out of the blue being the one that would go up to him. It doesn't fit.
the, the whole picture of Abraham. Um, and I tend to believe that he probably was a pre, you know, Christophany. Uh, I can't stand absolute on it because there's just not enough there to, to say absolutely. But uh, Abraham did bless him by giving him a tithe or, or honor him with a tithe. And for Abraham, that was a lot of money because he's a very rich man. So we look at this, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And we talked last week about being ambassadors. We represent Jesus and God on this earth as ambassadors of a holy nation. This world is not our home. That's one of the reasons we cannot feel comfortable in the world. If you can feel comfortable in the world, you probably have a problem with your spiritual relationship with God. Because I don't like going and just being part of the world. I love being around people. Just being around God, spirit filling me is a great place to be. As much as I enjoyed my work and everything, I never felt a great peace at work. Even though I was lucky I was in charge, I got to bring the environment into work, it's still really composed of the world. Because most of my people were not saved, just the way it was. You know, so there was a lot of world around me and, you know, and what the world talks about, what the world, you know, does, what, you know, all that there is the world should make us uncomfortable. And I've talked many times, I'm watching less and less TV Amen. because I don't like what's on there. I can't read the news anymore. In the it makes me sick. <laughs> I read the news only because I want to know how close to the end times we are. We can't get fearful about what we're hearing even in the news. We can't get fearful about what's going on around us because God's still in control. He's going to be the one that sets, sets the stage. The sad thing is this country is getting what it deserves. We've turned away from God. We're making decisions to, to say that bad, what God says is bad is good. That will bring judgment. It has to. The Bible tells us it does. And so we're going to see all upon our country unless we have a revival. And we've talked a lot about that. The revival, if we're going to have a revival, must start with God's people in his churches. Turning and repenting. And in our case, voting correctly to get <laughs> leaders in there. But we can't count on the leaders. We have to get the heart of the people changed to follow God. Because if you want to find what happens when you get a good leader but the people's hearts don't change... Read, read First and Second Corinthians, uh, Chronicles, and First and Second Kings, and especially in Judah. Judah would have a good king. He would he would get rid of the oh, you know the obvious worship of the, the of the uh, the idols, but the people's hearts didn't get changed, and they would come right back as soon as that king died, and go right back into their idolatry. The leaders will not be what saves this country. It will take a change of the heart of the people. If it can be done, and I don't know that it can be done, it would be a miracle of God, but it, and that could happen. But the only way that we get a salvation of our, of our nation and, our, and, and a delay of anything coming is for God's people to, to change their hearts and go out and give the gospel to others so that their hearts can be changed and then they can be taught how to follow God and then we can see a change. Without that, we won't see we won't see anything coming down the road other than trouble. But by the same token, when you look at the book of Revelation and you say, oh, it's coming. Is this now the time it's coming and we're going to be seeing the fulfillment of it? I think so, but I could be wrong because lots of people have been saying the same thing for, for centuries. 
But now we see how revelation can be fulfilled. There's very little and it can't happen. You ever heard? To be generous. Generosity is not sacrifice. Not necessarily. It can be, but it's not always. Because it really comes down to what is your heart attitude on it. Because a lot of people can be very generous without without having any desire to help or, or looking to sacrifice to God. They're poor, they like you said, with the two anger? Huh? Do they do it with anger? I don't know that they do it with anger. A lot of them are trying, most people when they do, do generous deeds are trying to please God by doing more good than bad. And this is where, we, this is where the heart attitude comes into. When Jesus criticized the Pharisees, Pharisees did a lot of good things. They gave a lot of money. They did a lot of things for the poor. But they did it with all the wrong attitude. They were doing it to make them, you know, here, look at I've got this great big gift. Uh, I'm giving it to this person who needs it, but look at me. They had the wrong attitude. It was they're trying to do good so that people thought they were good. They were doing, even when it was in secret sometimes, it was to say, I want God to look at this. Look at this great gift that I'm giving. You know, and this is the problem with giving to God because a lot of times people do it because they're just trying to Say, God, I'm, I wanna, I'm doing my thing for you. And that's why a lot of people come to church on Sunday morning. They're not coming to worship God. They're not coming to do anything. They're doing it to say, put up the brownie point. God, I, I gave up an hour on Sunday. I came to church. Well, where's the fine line? I mean, It's the hard attitude behind it. Come to church. Am I coming to church because I need to be here? No, I'm coming here because, well, in one sense, I do need to be here because I need to be with God's people. But my goal of coming to church is... To be with others to worship God. To be with others to... I love it when others tell me what, God, what they have from God. This is what God did for me this week. I love to hear people talk about God and what He is and how He's real to them. And that's part of the benefit of coming together. Is that we get that from people. Otherwise, it's just, I'm coming here to mark my time. Okay, God, I, I put another... <laughs> Another service in there, you know, give me that brownie point. It's, uh, it'll, it'll go against some of my sins. Put down so we can worship God and fellowship with other believers. Yeah, and it needs to be that. And this is why it's important. When we come, one of the problems in churches is a lot of people, you'll hear people say, well, I just don't like the music they sing. Okay, well, who's the music for? Is the music for you or is it for God? And God says that he likes a joyful, a joyful noise. You know, we could come in here and, and be the worst singers in the world and God's going to say, oh, they're, they're, because he's the one that's listening. He's the one it's supposed to be to. If I'm all sitting there, well, I can't sing. I don't know this song well enough to sing it. I may, I may sound terrible. I may, you know, I've got a cold. I'm going to be off key. And it's hard. And it all has to be, it's all hard. It really comes down to hard attitude. And this is why it's, it's a very fine, fine line on how we walk. Why do I come to services? Basically, I do need it. But it's not to get some brownie points with God. It's to be with his people. It's to be built up. It's to be loved on. It's to just come and worship God. Sing songs before God. But I will sit in my office. If you were to sit outside this window, you'd hear me singing oftentimes because I'll sing with the radio or, or talk with God as I'm studying and going, wow, this is great. You know, If anybody was sitting out there with a tape recorder, they'd probably think I was a nut. But, but I know I am anyway, so it doesn't really book to look at. Revelation chapter 1. And we'll start at verse 4. Revelation 1, 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, 
and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God, right there, says that he makes us kings and priests. Now, kings in this case are, is, is, should be translated rulers and princes, not, not kings, but ma he makes us rulers. He gives us position of authority. We're going to rule with him through eternity because that's our position. And then he makes us priests, those who, those who draw close to him. And we are priests to God. Priests of God. We are to honor him. We are to bring people to him. The, priest, the priests serve him. They draw close to him. They offer they present the sacrifices to God. And that is our job to present sacrifice to God, to come before Him in a sacrificial way, just to give up, to give up ourselves, to, to substitute our praise for, for us, and to just draw close to God. And this is important for us. We draw close to Him. We give Him, as I shared earlier this morning, we cast all our care on Him. He wants to carry our care. Jesus said, take my burden. My burden is light. Take my yoke. He wants to be yoked up with us, and he wants to carry the weight of our problems. The problem that we usually have, we go to God, we go, God, here are my problems. And instead of leaving them with him, we walk back and we say, okay, well, God, I, I need this one, I need this, this one, and we end up carrying our problems back away from them. And it's important for us to learn to just leave our problems with him. And I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. It is not easy to leave problems with him. I know it. I still struggle with it every day, especially when it comes time to looking at the budget and the money sitting there that's not there. And I'm going, okay, God. And, and in the back of my mind, as I walk away, I'm leaving it to him. But in the back of my mind, I'm leaving it there. Okay, God, how can I, how can I raise the money this month? Knowing that it's going to be him that does it anyway because it's been him that's done it for, for almost uh, two years. Yeah. And I still will walk away trying to figure out how I'm going to get it taken care of. I heard the guy made man. He said, where'd you get your arms and legs from Walmart? <laughs> you know, it's self-made. There's no way we had to be born and, and be... And it's all God. And it's all it's God all always. God. We just want to look at this and how and, and how can we just draw close to God? Sacrifices, drawing closer to Him. And you know, the closer we get to Him is sometimes scary to draw close to God because the closer you get to God, the more you see how much we don't deserve to be before God, the more light that shines into our life. But the thing we have to remember is that he loves us, and it's only he that cleans us up anyway, and it's all by grace. We've got to really come to the point where we realize that everything that we have, everything that we do, everything that we are before God is by his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved, by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And God won't let anything that I do stand before him because he's going to say, no, it's nothing that you've done. No matter how good I get, it's nothing that I do pleases God. Nothing I do is good enough to place him on that altar before God. If I try to do my works on the altar before God, we're going all the way back to Cain who put on the fruits of his labor on the sacrifice before God, and God said, no, it's not acceptable. 
It's got to be by grace. Everything I do, God says, okay, may, may be good, may be bad, but it is worthless because it, the flesh does it. It's got to be him working through me. That is hard, but it's easy. You know, it's hard, but it's easy because I've got to recognize it's by grace. When I start recognizing it is by grace. Grace is definition. Grace is ever getting what, getting what, getting we, what deserve. we don't deserve. Getting what we don't deserve. Okay. Gotcha. okay. Or, or as the acronym or acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. We have everything that God possesses given to us because of grace, because of what Jesus paid. And you think about that. We have the riches of God at our disposal. We have all the blessings of God, not because of anything I have done, but purely because of grace. Purely because of grace, I can get anything. Purely by grace, I can stand at God's throne and present my request to him. Purely by grace will I be able to enter into heaven because of what Jesus did. Purely by grace does God see us as perfect. Purely by grace does he make us his children. Purely by grace does he let us stay alive when we deserve you know, the death that our spirit already has. Grace. Contemplate grace. Think about grace because grace is all that it's about. Grace, not my works, not the righteousness that I have done. It just doesn't stand before God. Does that mean I want to go out and sin and be bad? No. Because I love him so much, I want to do good because it's going to get me into heaven, not because it makes him so But because it makes you feel good. It's my way of responding back to him for all that he's done for me. What little I can do. God, I want to be a or I want to be Is what are you going to do with Christ? 
Those who reject Christ and his sacrifice will end up in hell. Not even because of their sins. They're going to end up in hell because they, re re they rejected the righteousness of Christ. Those of us who have accepted his righteousness, we're clothed on in his righteousness. We've put on Christ. We are declared perfect. We are being made perfect in this world, and when we die, we'll be perfect when we stand before God. And it won't be our righteousness. It'll be Jesus' righteousness that we'll abide in for eternity. And God says, welcome. Come on in. Because he's already forgiven. The power of forgiveness is so important. We need to learn how to forgive others. We need to learn, more importantly, how to forgive ourselves. Because I, I've talked to so many people over the years, and almost to the, to the person, they say it's easier to forgive somebody else than it is to forgive themselves. And we've got to get to this. And this is why we need to dwell on grace. This is why we need to dwell on what Jesus has done for us. This is why we dwell on the 51 things that happened to us at the moment of salvation. Because it helps us to understand what God has done. When we really see it, and we start really changing the way we think about ourselves, and we learn to forgive ourselves, it's easy then to forgive others. Because if I can forgive myself, I can forgive anybody. And the key is I know that God has forgiven me. And the more I let him come into me, the more I'm going to be forgiven. Forgiving, <laughs> not forgiven, forgiving. Because it'll be him coming out of me. And this is part of, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live according to the faith of Jesus Christ. He comes in, he crucifies my flesh, and then he lives out of me. And the more he lives out of me, the more Christ-like I will be before other people. Not because it's me doing it, but because I'm crucified. <laughs> the more of my flesh he crucifies, the more of him that comes out, the more people look at me and they say, boy, you're a strange, peculiar person. You, know, you, don't, you don't think, act, or, or, or look like the world. You know, you're strange. You're weird. And you get to say, thank you, I am. <laughs> because I'm not of this world. I'm, I'm of a different world. I'm an ambassador from, from another world. I'm just a pilgrim on this world headed toward home. And it's a beautiful thing for us to get, to get into the memory of. And we've got about four minutes, and I'll just tell one story. It's a story that you may have heard if you've listened to the Christian radio. It was an old-time old time missionary couple coming back from Africa on, on a ship, back when they had ships. And Roosevelt was on the ship with them. And they got back, and there's this big parade and, and crowd front and welcoming the president back home from a safari. And the, the husband's looking at him, and they go, he's put 30, 40 years out on the mission field, and he turns to his wife and he goes, how come there's no parade for us? You know, nobody's here welcoming us back home, and his wife just turned to him, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. And we want to keep that in, in, in thought. While we're on this earth, we are not home. You know, but what glory will there be when we return, when we actually cross into heaven, into the presence of God? And he says, here's your rewards. Here's your glory for what you've allowed me to do. And I've said it over and over. I love God's plan. He does the work for us, and then he gives us the rewards for it. And we don't know what, what rewards are going to be out there. We don't even know what we've done and that's touched people. Uh, one of my favorite songs is the song Thank You, and it's about a guy you know, singing about this man and this pastor in heaven, and all the little people you know, come up to him and say, 
know, thank you. you, you taught my Sunday school and I got saved because of your message, or I got saved because of the, the, the little bit of money you gave to the missionaries. I got saved because of whatever it might be. You know, we've got our, we've got the web, web page that goes out and we're, we're, our sermons are going out there being heard by 400 plus people a month. 400 plus people a month. What kind of rewards are out there? We don't know. We don't know what kind of rewards are going to be out there, but in heaven, God will say, here you are. Not just me who speaks them and puts them up there, but everybody who's in this church that has helped to support money with this church, that helps to go support the webpage, will have the rewards because it takes the whole church to have that presence. And who knows what rewards are out there? How many people have gotten saved because they've heard the gospel message that I so often give on almost every time I speak? You know, you know, the gospel message, you know, that we're sinners headed for hell, that Jesus paid and that we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we're, we're saved. And that's got to be meant. You know, how many times have I said that? And almost every single time I, I preach, I teach something about that. So the gospel message is out there, and this church will get a little piece of anybody who gets, gets saved will get a reward for that. Because the church approved us to go out to the Internet and put this out there. You know, who knows how many people are being touched? How many people have had their lives changed because of something that was said and maybe even been said by somebody that got picked up on the mic? You know, we don't know. How many people have we touched just by living God in front of the, our world that see us go to church, that see us not, not sin and say, wow, there's something a bit different about that person. I want to know a little bit more about them. We don't know. God does. He knows every little thing that we've done that's touched somebody's life, every little word that we've said that's touched somebody's life. And you know the thankful part is? Anything that didn't bring people to God when we're saved is under the blood of Jesus Christ and forgotten by God because he's put it under the blood. And that is so, so thank you, God. Thank you for your You're not MC what I'm doing wrong. It's not going to be held against me because it's under the blood. God's grace. His grace is so wonderful for us. When we totally mess up, we confess and say, God, I really messed up. He puts it under the blood and it's forgotten. He no longer holds it against us. Because we want to always remember, when we stand before God, for those of us that save, number one, we're not going to stand at the white throne judgment because we are saved. We're not, we're not under the judgment of that. But he doesn't have a scale up there saying good and bad and saying you're bad or you're good. He goes, blood's covering the bad. <laughs> Jesus' is, is grace, his righteousness, pulls that, if there was a scale, it would pull it all the way down the other direction because the sin is under the blood. It doesn't even make it to the scales. It's all Jesus. Those who stand before the white throne judgment aren't clothed in the righteousness of Christ. They're going to stand there in their own righteousness which God says filthy rags and they'll be condemned. The great news is we as followers of Christ have his righteousness on. We're perfect in God's eyes. We're perfect in, in the way he looks at us. And we're going to be rejoicing for eternity in the righteousness of Christ that he will make us who he says we are upon our entry into, the, into, the, into his kingdom. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, for your grace, that you love us so much that you want to give us everything that beyond what we can imagine. Peace, 
love, joy, that you will help us. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.